0: Welcome to Peak Mind, I'm your host Michael Trainer, and I'm extremely excited to go deep with you guys on something that has been hitting me lately and that is the guru imposter syndrome that I see as an epidemic in the spiritual community. So I've had the honor to host uh, some truly spiritual luminaries from native elders uh, like Banki Piakau to His Holiness the Dalai Lama and What I would note about My experience in their presence was just that their presence spoke for itself There was a way of being that was born from doing deep work and a true compassion, a true listening, a true embodiedness that spoke for itself. I've also of late had the opportunity to interview some hugely influential spiritual teachers and spiritual figures, folks that have been on Oprah and Jay Shetty's podcasts, some of the biggest uh, podcasts in the world, biggest stages in the world, Um, Some of whom have their own podcasts that have enormous reach. And what has hit me of late is that there are a lot of dangerous people out there. And I don't necessarily even think that they are intending to be dangerous. I think that they believe their own hype. but. I wanted to share a couple things that have been really hitting me, and I just feel like are an epidemic, for lack of a better term, in the spiritual community. And that is people who are selling these prescribed notions of the truth. I think anyone that tells you that they have the unique formula for enlightenment, you got to be wary of. Number one. Uh, number two look around the person and look also beneath the words that they're sharing. I recently went to an event. I'm not going to mention the name of a very prominent uh, spiritual figure. And they're doing all the things to enhance their stature. They're surrounding themselves with very notable uh, public figures. They are... um, on stage having people evoke their sense of smell, evoke their sense of sound. They're basically um, utilizing ceremonial tools and practices to open spaces that put people in a very vulnerable and impressionable state of mind. And from that place linking themselves through various uh, neuro-linguistic programming methods, various um, techniques of anchoring. So using people, using techniques, sounds, smells to anchor someone in states and see them in a certain light. And this is super dangerous, my friends. Let me just be very clear. You are your own healer. You are the healer, right? No one is going to fix you. No one has the 10 stage approach for 999 to show you enlightenment. And anyone that talks more than they listen, that speaks with authority as if they have found that unique brand of the truth that is unique to them, especially if there's some kind of formula or system or a unique proprietary model that they're trying to sell you, You've got to filter that. That doesn't mean that there won't be insights in their method that could be valuable. But beware. I have seen so many people. I won't even get. Actually, I'm going to get started. Let's talk about fake shamans. Okay. Because all over the place now, I'm I'm seeing people do quote unquote ceremony. Now, let's just be real for a minute. A true shaman does not need to call himself a shaman. It is not some romantic thing. It's not the clothes you wear to look like a shaman. It's not some sexy thing you get to wear feathers and headdresses and try on different outfits like you're a burning man. This is a deep spiritual commitment to your community to sacrifice your own life, to be an intermediary between yourself and the spirit world such that when someone is unwell or the community is imbalanced you are the conduit to filter that imbalance that imperfection that dis-ease oftentimes through your own system in a very intense process i've seen true shamans literally look like they're about to die from passing through darkness and dis taking it out of someone's body out of someone's space and and having the tools to then also not have that stick to them, be corded to them, stay as part of their essence and properly uh, move that deity, excuse me, deity entity, dark force out of the space, out of someone's uh, system. That is a very adept and advanced tool. If you need surgery, you're going to the Harvard MD that's been practicing surgery for 30 years. You're not going to your friend who read about surgery in a library book and that's the same equivalent of not going to your friend who went to Peru to take medicine and now all of a sudden they think because they're able to get some ayahuasca or some mushrooms or whatever it is that they're qualified to hold space for you to have a profound psychological surgery, right? I mean and that's ultimately what a true ceremony is. A true Page, a true healer, a true roadman. That's a that's it. That's a commitment of a lifetime. Those people to consecrate space, to consecrate spiritual space. That is an act of such training, such discipline. You know, Dieta, Justina, an elder woman I sat with from the Shipibo tradition. She sat for two years alone in the jungle by herself just to receive the initiatory initiatory rites and wisdom to be able to hold one healing ritual. ritual I described earlier, which is sucking out negativity from someone's space, right? Like physical chronic pain, being able to transmute that. That was something she went by herself into the forest and was trained by another master in the ability to be able to transmute that kind of energy. Someone who holds that kind of space is a master. And it's not like a master we think in the West, right? Like some exalted like, oh, okay, you know, you're, you know, this exotic. It's it's like an it's an actual it's a it's a job of humble servitude. And that's what you should look for, right? When you're looking to foster your own healing, when you're looking to step into a true space, a ceremonial space, a consecrated space, is to look for the people that lead with humility and service. I'm gonna share a story because I think it demonstrates this quality beautifully. So there was a, a man I sat with Um, a roadman, which means a carrier uh, of of peyote, that I sat with in sweat, in sweat lodge. So there's no entheogenic medicines used in sweat lodge. It's the heat, right? And the temescal, the sweat, it's a tradition of rebirth. It's it's a rite of passage. You go through the intensity of the heat and the, the... praying to the four directions and the honoring of the four directions in order to move through the aspects of ourself that enable us to pay respects to that outside of ourself, to that which is us in our interdependence and interconnection, this beautiful nature behind me, to pay tribute to that, but to do so through an honoring of what they call the grandfathers, which is the stones that are brought into the space. There's a a deep and complex yet seemingly very simple technology that goes into the sweat and I had the honor to sit with a gentleman named Jerry who's a DNA or otherwise known as Navajo man and when you sat with Jerry he would say good morning relatives and it was with such depth and humility and you could tell that you were held in that space and Jerry was listening. He wasn't just listening to the words you said. He was listening to the words behind the words. He was listening to your body language. He was listening to all of the different voices in the space. And with the grandfathers, with the heat, the sacred heat, he would share a story. And in that story was a story you could be warmed by was the answers or at least breadcrumbs on a trail to which you could go find the answers that you were looking for but it wasn't because Jerry told you what the answers were but Jerry held a space in which you were safe to explore and find that which you already knew within you let me say it again Jerry held the space in a safe manner such that you could be your own healer, such that you could find the answers to the questions that you have within yourself, because only you truly know those answers, right? And I think in our Western culture, which is so oriented around buying things, which is so oriented around uh, purchasing the solution to that which ills us, which which is so oriented around a story of lack, right? Like you have to lack, You have to believe that you're incomplete. You have to believe that you're imperfect. You have to believe that you're traumatized. You have to believe that you are less than whole. So that someone else you can pay, you can buy as a solution to then complete you. And that's the great fallacy that we live in, right? No one will complete us. No one has the prescription that is unique to them that is the magical cure to all that ails you my friends you are your own healer and there are a lot of people out there selling snake oil some of whom have actual tools some of whom are very smart right also by the way and i fall into this myself we in the west oftentimes fall prey to our own intellect and i have interviewed some people lately that are super smart very intellectual very believable are they embodied? Do they speak as much through their heart? Is their presence aligned to their words? Do they operate in the world commensurate where the, where their actions match their words, where they are leading uh, the truths that they are sharing? They are exemplifying those virtues. We have to ask these questions, right? Because that's that's where the drapes match the curtains my friends you know do the words match the actions is someone embodied do they do they hold the energy do they hold that energy in a beautiful way in a way that is from a place of humility and service now there are people that have tremendous tools that aren't necessarily humble that isn't to say that like if someone's not humble they have nothing to offer but what i will say is if someone is trying to support you in my view they should lead first by listening and anyone who starts extolling their proprietary formula that only they have the keys to which they will sell you for xyz either your money Maybe your body, that's another thing that's not talked about in the spiritual community. A lot of people using ceremony to get very vulnerable people in an open space and then taking advantage of them sexually or uh, psychologically, physically, right? Super dangerous, right? Also, by the way, another thing I need to talk about in the medicine community, if you're stepping into a space and they haven't asked you, are you pregnant? Do you have a history of psychological challenges? Have you ever had a psychic break? Where they don't talk about, How are you going to integrate after this experience? Like these, like a ceremony is not just the medicine, right? It's not just this sacred plant, which plants, these plants are sacred, right? Ayahuasca, peyote, wachuma. It's the preparation, right? When, When that space is consecrated, it's consecrated by someone who has spent years in service, in the listening, donating their life to something higher they are training in the jungles, oftentimes denying themselves through fasting to receive various truths. They are anointed by their community, by their elders, in a way where it's recognized that they are now embodied in holding that truth. It is the song and the prayers they use when they, harvest that medicine. It's the spiritual offerings they make to that space. It's the people that are in the space with you when you're doing the medicine because you're entering in the field and all their stuff becomes all your stuff because there is no division between them and you. It's their ability to navigate that, what I would call that space, that being in the field. It's the ability to close, to to move out the dark energies and close that container, to close you from an open spiritual position in in a way where you can integrate and and feel safe and held. right? All of these things are integral to an effective ceremony and are very infrequently talked about. And not only that, I'm now seeing in transformational festivals or festivals, people doing visualizations, hypnotic neuro-linguistic programming exercises, visualizations that are evoking, like a ceremony would, otherworldly entities, ways of being that put you in a very vulnerable state, in a container which is filled with people who are on drugs or on all kinds of things, going through various psychosocial issues, this is, in my view, not safe and not talked about. And it's like, guys, like there is a technology which has been known about for a millennium, practiced by indigenous peoples, in which this technology makes sense, in which it can be held in a beautiful way, but. We now in the West are taking all these different tools and anointing ourselves, right? Uh, Just because you can wear the feathers, just because you wear the clothes, doesn't mean you embody the wisdom, right? And not only that, it can be dangerous because you're virtue signaling that you're embodied in holding this wisdom that you don't actually hold, right? It's not about projecting an image to elevate yourself right you can tell that that's another thing you can tell the difference in a ceremony between someone who's singing a song because they want you to see them and someone who's singing a song to carry the collective to carry the group to hold the space what you're looking for is the latter someone who's not in it because it's about them and exalting their own goals and agendas You want someone who's deeply committed and has spent years training in the tools that enable them to hold a space for you to heal yourself. Thank you for listening to me go off on this diatribe. I think there'll be more of this to come. This is something I just feel so powerfully and I've been with some very notable modern figures like spiritual teachers, quote unquote, of the highest order that are that are qualified and have people who are very much respected giving quotes about them and I've seen some stuff that's out of pocket I've seen some actions that do not resonate not to say that we are all imperfect we're all we definitely all are imperfect and doesn't mean that I think everyone has to be this representation of perfection but what I will say is that a true healer or a true holder of space does so as a commitment and dedication to the moreness, to something beyond themselves. And when, it, when someone is transfixed on themselves, their vision is impaired and they don't, in my belief, hold the requisite space to be able to hold space for also you to move effectively through what you need to move through to embody the medicine that is unique to you, that only you have the keys to unlock, right? But there are spaces in which you can more easily find those keys. There are songs that will evoke your potential. There are codes, there are languages that are spoken through the true people, the people that have trained in these traditions that, that are deeply committed to the morness beyond that which is known, beyond that which we see. But that is a language, an embodied wisdom beyond which many of us can even conceptualize. And so what I'd say is if you're going for spiritual surgery, go to an expert surgeon, go to an expert healer, someone that is deeply knowledgeable, trained, oftentimes in a collective, an indigenous person, Which doesn't just because they're indigenous doesn't necessarily mean they're qualified, right? There are also, you know, people out there that are you go to someone who, you know, based on friends is recommended where people where it's safe, where there's intake, where there's a context around, you know, integration. In my experience, generally, that's a very beautifully held space by a beautifully trained indigenous elder. And that is referenced and recommended to me by others who have walked that path before me there are ways in which we can and may, maybe that's a different container maybe that's someone who is going to johns hopkins and has led trials on psych, uh, psilocybin or mdma and holds space in a, in a traditional psychotherapist's office and they have the credentials for you know um uh, medically assisted psych, psychedelic therapy you know, but what I'm saying is go to an expert, go to someone who is trained, go to someone that can safely help you unlock the keys to yourself. Go to someone who sings for the collective, someone who holds a campfire for your story, right? A story around which you can be warmed by the fire, right? That was what Jerry did for me. He told stories that evoked my sense of what is possible, but it wasn't about him. He was committed to the song. He was committed to the fire. There's a beautiful Comanche story that I love that says the fire is magical. In the tradition, the fire is called Tatawari. Tatawari is the, the, the true shaman, the true transmuter of anything into what is possible, right? And there's a Comanche saying that says people go to the fire, but they get transfixed by the flames. Because the flames are beautiful. But the power. The power is in the coals. Because the coals are what keep the fire burning. What we're talking about, my friends, is the coals. Respect the coals.